Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the investigation into an allegation against Major General Danny Fortin is referred to Quebec's prosecution service. I have two main priorities. First of all, that the investigation be complete, be rigorous, and be fair. And secondly, that if it's a situation where there are concerns because someone came forward, that the wishes and supports for that complainant be always top of mind as we go through the process. Will travel restrictions be lifted for people who are vaccinated? So I think at a moment we're in a complete uh, information, not a vacuum, where we've got a flood of information, but most, but a lot of it is contradictory. Because at the moment, nobody knows what they can do and what they can't do. And experts say Quebec's bid to change the Constitution could impact all Canadians. The intent of the Bill 96 is clearly not to do anything against the rights of our precious and historic English minority. It is intended to improve the promotion and protection of French. It's Thursday, May 20th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. We're joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. John, thank you for being with us today. Morning, Mark. Let's start with the investigation into Major General Danny Fortin. Uh, the, the Canadian military police have referred their investigation to uh, the Quebec Prosecution Service. Uh, we still don't know a lot uh, about this allegation that has arisen of sexual misconduct. But, of course, it continues to raise broader questions about what's going on in the Canadian military. So what's your perspective on this? Well, I don't think in this that I can say anything in particular about the uh, Major General Fortin's circumstances because we just don't know what he's alleged to have done. It does seem like it was an awful long time ago, but apparently there is no statute of limitations. I mean, I don't want to dismiss the seriousness of the charge because we just don't know what it is. But what it is clear is that this is gripping the military. I mean, I talked to people inside the military who said everybody's just keeping their heads down and hope, in the hope that they haven't done something that is uh, considered egregious. Now, it may not have been then, it may have been then. But, every, but nobody is focusing on the job. I mean, at some point, the military has got to, and I think the minister has got to lead this. And this thing is going to be tackled more quickly than, than uh, Louise Arbour's investigations. To clear the deck, so maybe that means appointing a new um, chief of the defence staff, a new permanent chief of the defence staff, because we know that the prior one was uh, is under investigation. His successor is under investigation. Now we've got uh, Fortin under investigation. Um, you know, there are, there are various other cases going on. It's just totally fixating the military, and you know, to the point where it becomes a security risk. I mean, I think there are people internally are saying, "Look, nobody is is really looking at the the bigger picture as as you know, Russia mass, Russia masses troops on the border of Ukraine, and uh, you know, China flexes its muscles elsewhere in the world. This is just gripping the military, and it needs to be dealt with." All right, we'll see where that goes. Uh, let's bring everyone up to date on where we stand on vaccinations. I know there's a lot of emphasis on the fact that Canada is passing the United States in the rate of uh, vaccinations, the first vaccination, of course. Um, and, and it starts to 
open up all kinds of, of questions about what happens next. When will people be allowed to travel again? Will only the vaccinated be allowed to travel? Uh, should people be allowed to go to the United States to get a vaccination? That's another interesting question. Um, and are we effectively catching up and starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel uh, with the pandemic? Well, that's a very broad waterfront, Mark. <laughs> me, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to give you as much to work with as possible here. <laughs> um, well, look, we're, we are uh, obviously catching up on first doses, at least. We're still lagging on second doses. Um, there is information that now suggests you can mix and match, which which is a relief for somebody like me who got AstraZeneca. We're now apparently not in the AstraZeneca game anymore, but uh, but it looks like we can mix and match with Pfizer, which of which we we do have a lot. But there's still an awful lot more vaccine available in the U.S., which is leading people to try and cross the border to uh, to get access to that vaccine. It sounded for a period of time on Wednesday as if you could cross the, the border and not have to quarantine on the way back. The, the public health agency had, uh, in response to a question from from a, the CEO of the Windsor Regional Hospital, who'd asked whether people could do this, because there's a lot, obviously a lot of people in Windsor, Ontario, who were trying to do it. And the public health agency had answered that this was, it may be considered a, an essential medical service. So if you've got a uh, clarification from a, a health provider in Canada, you got proof from a licensed health practitioner in the U.S., then you could do it. Which So people are getting this advice, and I guess then they're flooding to the border, where, whereupon they find that the U.S. border agency uh, is not letting them in for that purpose. They will allow people to get into the U.S. for legitimate travel reasons, which might include going to Florida for a vacation, but it doesn't include getting a vaccine. So now the Public Health Agency of Canada has, has said... No, this is not a legitimate reason to go, and you cannot, you you must quarantine and coming back if you've just crossed the border and got vaccinated and come back. I, I think to sum up, it's total confusion. Nobody knows quite yet what is going on, which seems remarkable given the fact we we've known we were going to get to this point for months and months and months. You know, now the EU is opening up to to travellers from within the EU and even including Britain. And it looks like they're going to allow American travellers who have been vaccinated, I guess fully vaccinated, to also travel to, to Europe. It's not clear at all whether Canada Canadians are included in that. So I think at the moment we're in a complete uh, information, not a vacuum, where we've got a flood of information, but most, but a lot of it is contradictory. And I think there needs to be a much clearer uh, message, probably emanating from the public health agency in the first instance, and then emanating out through the the, depart, the health department, the federal health department, and to Canada Border Services Agency, because at the moment nobody knows what they can do and what they can't do. Yeah, and and I would have to say, you know, I think there's a lot of commentary around how the information has been mishandled from the outset during this pandemic, right? That there. The, the communication strategy employed by various levels of government has not been particularly effective. I think that's right. And I think, um, you know, nobody has got an experience with a pandemic of this size. So obviously, everybody's making it up on the fly to some extent. But I do think that we've had um, inexperienced people in key positions 
who've said things that later proved to be wrong or misguided. And I think the Federal Health Minister is one and probably the Premier of Ontario is another. And um, the, the, the Chief Public Health Officer is, is probably another one. All right, John, let's turn to the debate that has emerged over whether Quebec can unilaterally change the Canadian Constitution. The Premier of Quebec says it can. Uh, the Prime Minister seems to agree with him. Uh, there are constitutional scholars who disagree. Uh, what do you think this means for Quebec and for Canada? Well, I, I wrote on this today, and, and I, I talked about project majority and how nothing can get in the way of project majority for for Justin Trudeau. And, and Project Majority uh, runs right through Quebec. I mean, it's a very tight race in Quebec at the moment. <clears throat> the Liberals are doing okay, but um, but the Bloc are nipping at their heels. And the Bloc and Trudeau are trying to get as close to Francois Legault, the Premier, as they can, because Legault, alone among politicians in Canada, uh, his stock has risen during the pandemic. He's very popular in Quebec, and... He has used this popularity and and the fact that Trudeau needs his support to push this language law, which in the the, the instance where it uh, deals with the Constitution, he, he wants it enshrined in the Constitution, unilaterally rewriting parts of the Constitution that establishes Quebec as a nation and trenches the official language in Quebec. Now, the... the um, the province claims, or, the, or actually the federal government claims, that it would only use this Section 45 of the Constitution, which deals with the Constitution of Provinces, but clearly this would impact the Constitution of Canada. It's not just about the inner workings of Quebec, it's actually a broader thing which deals with the workings of Canada. And, um, you know, while there is a section called 43B, which allows amendments related to the use of English and French, that would require approval in the Senate, in the House, and in the National Assembly in Quebec, um, which would make it a real political football in the House of Commons. I'm not even sure that uh, that Trudeau would get it through the House of Commons. Um, I, I suspect there are certain members of his caucus, particularly Anglophones in Montreal uh, or in in the province of Quebec, who would not agree with this. And I think there are many people in Ontario who would not agree with this. Uh, that any province can unilaterally. Uh, amend the Constitution of Canada. And I'm pretty sure that his father would not have agreed with this. You know, Pierre Trudeau was a pioneer of the Charter of Rights, which was designed to recognize the inalienable rights of all Canadians equally. And he rejected all efforts like the uh, designation of Quebec as a distinct society that risked those rights being overridden or modified. And yet his son is now saying that, that uh, Quebec's views on nationhood and the French language uh, can be imposed on the rest of Canada. And, uh, you know, you're already seeing a reaction in the West. You're already seeing a reaction from the Anglophone minority in Quebec. And I think this is a real can of worms for Trudeau. And by saying that it's okay, he's opened that can of worms. Hmm. All right. John, great to have your comments on all of this today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. Our uh, initial analysis uh, in terms of the uh, Justice Department uh, has highlighted that it is uh, 
perfectly uh, legitimate for a province to modify the section of the Constitution that applies specifically to them. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues federal leaders must not give Quebec's constitutional demands a pass. The Star writes, Amending Canada's constitution isn't supposed to be easy, but federal leaders are tripping over themselves to go along. That may get them votes in Quebec, but Canada deserves better leadership than that from its prime minister and those who aspire to his job. The changes Quebec are pushing aren't just routine matters. They potentially affect the whole country, and our federal leaders should give them the closest scrutiny, regardless of votes to be won or lost in Quebec. In the Montreal Gazette, Bill Brownstein argues some remain leery as Quebec starts to reopen. Brownstein writes, The hope is that by the end of August, when Quebec can achieve herd immunity through the vaccinations of 75% of its population 12 and over, off come the masks, back to school, and it's back to work we go. But skepticism also abounds. Recent U.S. studies reveal that the lockdowns have heightened social anxiety. The bottom line is that many are apprehensive. At Policy Options, Isabel McKenzie argues equitable funding for home care must be part of any conversation about long-term care. McKenzie writes, The most basic right we have as Canadians is the freedom to decide where we want to live and with whom. We need to support this right with strong government action throughout a person's lifespan. As policymakers embark upon reforming long-term care, a central objective should be to expand decision-making autonomy to seniors so that they can choose to remain in their own homes if that's what they want, or to support them when they decide to move to a long-term care facility. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Parliamentary Budget Officer will produce a report this morning costing out two of the Trudeau government's measures in its latest budget. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, this morning, the Parliamentary Budget Officer will release a costing for one, a tax on luxury goods, and two, a tax reduction for clean technology companies. First, the tax reduction. The Parliamentary Budget Officer will evaluate how much it will cost the government in lost revenues to reduce the business tax rate for private corporations producing technology described as zero emission. Examples of that would be companies manufacturing zero emission vehicles, solar energy conversion equipment, or solar panels. The other thing the Parliamentary Budget Officer will cost out will be how much income the government stands to make by taxing what it describes as luxury vehicles. That would uh, be a tax that applies to the retail sale of new luxury cars and personal aircraft priced at over $100,000 and boats costing over $250,000. Both of those uh, costings will be available on the PBO website at 9 a.m. Eastern this morning. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will speak with the Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. He will also participate in a virtual meeting with Canada's Building Trades Unions and join a virtual conversation with members of the Canadian Council of Churches as part of their annual general meeting. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will meet virtually with parents and child care providers in Toronto. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will speak at an event hosted by the Canadian Home Builders Association, Vancouver Island. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will take part in a national virtual housing tour. Minister of Diversity Bartis Chagger will announce a federal investment to improve high-speed internet access in southwestern Ontario. Infrastructure Minister Catherine McKenna will take part in a virtual infrastructure event in Sault Ste. Marie 
and another in Windsor, Ontario. And National Revenue Minister Diane Le Boutelier will announce new job opportunities available to young Canadians in eastern Quebec. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, May 20th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.